This episode of the Productivityist Podcast is sponsored by Gusto. To get three months for free when you run your first payroll with Gusto, visit gusto.com slash timecrafting. I'll have more about the features of Gusto during this episode of the show, but for now, let's get on with things. Welcome to the Productivity is Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Barty, and this week on the show, my guest is Steve Glaveski. Steve is an entrepreneur. He's an author of the new book, Employee Entrepreneur, How to Earn Your Freedom and Do Work That Matters, and he's the host of the Future Squared Podcast. His mission is to unlock the latent potential of organizations and their people so that they can create more impact for humanity and ultimately lead more fulfilling lives. Now, our conversation largely focuses around the book, and we explore some of the ideas and insights that he peppered throughout the pages of said book. We talk about what somebody needs to have in mind, the mindset that they need when they're going from employee to entrepreneur, uh, you know, what can happen, and I've come across this myself, where you have like a big spike or a big launch, and you know, how not to get too much uh, ego involved, and how you can kind of keep going along this entrepreneurial journey without having the pitfalls that can come across, uh, you know, that come with a huge success. Lots of different things we go into. Uh, we talk about a lot of different books and different people we've spoken to. There's just a lot of goodness in this episode. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Steve Glaveski here on the Productivityist Podcast. I'd like to welcome Steve Glaveski to the Productivityist Podcast. Steve, thanks for joining me today. That's an absolute pleasure to be here, Mike. So this book that that you've written, Employed Entrepreneur, How to Earn Your Freedom and Do Work That Matters, needed to come out 10 years ago um, for <laughs> me. Like, so where where was it? <laughs> like, where was Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> 10 years ago, I think the closest thing we had 10 years ago was perhaps the four-hour work week, which definitely packed a lot of punches. I mean, I, I read that back in the day, and it did help me in some way. But I think if you've spent maybe a decade in the corporate world, then the four-hour work week will only get you so far. Well, and I think another book that would, would probably be helpful would be Personal MBA, right? Josh Kaufman's Personal MBA would have been mm -hmm. a good one too, right? Because mm -hmm. I know Definitely. that book was one that I, <laughs> and I talked to Josh recently, um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll link to the show notes, uh, we'll link to that episode in the show notes, but this idea of, you know, when, when, when you go from an organization like I did at Costco, working there for, you know, the better part of over a decade, actually, and, um, you know, I was an employee, there was a security blanket there, there was a factor of, you know, I knew a paycheck was coming every two weeks, I, you know, things were, and then all of a sudden, I said, you know what, enough's enough, I'm, I'm done here. Again, not because they were a bad employer. I stress that every time mm -hmm. I tell this story, mm -hmm. but because I was ready to make a leap. Um, you don't know necessarily. I mean, you, you have a depending on your job, depending on what who you, what your role was as an employee, you, you may have a certain sense of what to do. But how how does one like if they're going to make a leap like that, whether they're coming from a really secure employment situation where they're just ready to move or they're just like they need to they've got this burning desire to be their own boss and not only be their own boss, but serve serve others as an entrepreneur. How does how I want to go into the details of the book, but what what would be what, what are some cautionary things that people need to think about when they're making this move? Because I think that. A lot of people look before they or don't look before they leap. They they kind of mm -hmm. just jump into it. And I, I want to make sure that people who are listening to this, if they're thinking about, hey, I've got the side hustle, I want to make it a thing, or you know what, I'm ready to start my own thing. I'm confident enough I can do my own consulting, whatever. Um what what are some of the things that they need to go that you would recommend that, that they they pause and, and think about before either before they make that leap or as they make it? 
Sure. So, I mean, the, the, the number one thing really is understanding why they want to make the leap in the first place um, and really being clear about that, because it might be the fact that they just don't enjoy their job. Maybe they've got a lousy relationship with their with their boss. Uh, there's a number of things. So they, they could look at a number of alternatives, whether that's a lateral move inside the organization, whether that's working for a different type of company, or maybe they're just bored and they need some you know creative outlet on the side. They need to pick up a hobby. Maybe they need to take up surfing or something. So really understanding why you want to do it, because oftentimes people get enamored by the bright lights of entrepreneurship, you know, the whole be your own boss and, um, you know, work nine to nine to one, work whatever hours you want, work by the beach. Yeah, it sounds great in theory, but the reality is if you're just jumping out of, say, the corporate world, you've never started a business before, you're going to come up against lots of untested assumptions, a lot of uncertainty and ambiguity, and the first year or two will be incredibly challenging. So while, yes, some of the benefits of entrepreneurship can be incredibly fulfilling and rewarding, it takes a lot of effort to actually break through to get to that point where you do have that ability to um, design your own day the way you want it to be lived. Um, and so being clear about why you want to make this jump is key. Um, and also having, in my opinion, I, I really believe that having purpose at the core of what you do is key to help you stay the long course. Because if you're just doing this to make money, chances are this, I mean, there's many other ways to make money. Uh, I mean, there's the, the corporate world is a great way to make six figures and do very little work and spend your entire day in meetings. Now, I'm, this isn't true of all organizations, but in a lot of organizations, there is a tendency to conflate sitting in meetings with being productive or, or being busy. Um, and that's a much easier way to make money. Like you said, it's secure. You get the regular paycheck and everything else. But um, if you're doing this to make money, but also to create value in the world, um, then perhaps entrepreneurship is for you. Um, but like you said, there's so many pitfalls that people fall into when they make this transition. Um, number one being jumping to conclusions, uh, thinking that their idea for whatever reason is it's going to solve some major problem. Nobody else has thought about this. It's easy to uh, build a business model around it and to build a, a product that will actually resonate with people. So let's just jump to conclusions. Let's let's hire a third-party uh, web development agency or app development agency. Let's spend fifty dollars to $100,000 on this. Let's not tell anyone about it. Let's operate in stealth mode and not get any feedback from customers or anybody else because we think this is a Fantastic idea. We don't want anyone to steal it. And then, you know, six months later, 12 months later, you release this product and it's an absolute lemon. Um, and you've not learned anything really other than the fact that nobody wants your product. You've not really tested any assumptions along that journey. And you've built, you've burnt a massive hole in your pocket. And now you're asking questions about where to uh, from here. And more often than not, because you've burned that big hole in your pocket, you go back into whatever work you're in with your tail between your legs. Um, jumping to conclusions is absolutely one of the biggest, biggest, biggest pitfalls that I see first time entrepreneurs fall into. Um, there's, a, there's a number of others which I'm happy to talk talk through, but that's the biggest one. One thing that you mentioned right away about jumping to conclusions, and I, I was just talking to a couple of, of my online entrepreneurial friends about this the other day, mm -hmm. is this idea of when you have that first big hit. So imagine instead of it not working, it working, but mm -hmm. so, to such a degree that you've never experienced that kind of, let's say monetary, we'll use monetary success because that's, that's just something that uh, when you, when you leave that corporate job or that, that company job or that safe job, the money is consistent. And then all of a sudden you're an entrepreneur and you are like, if you're not the one driving it, or at least the one with the vision that's helping drive it, uh, you know, money can, can come in fits and starts. So let's say you have this massive launch or you develop this, this, this amazing thing and it, it, it blows up. Uh, at least right mm -hmm. out of the gate. So you have this, and then all of a sudden you make an adjustment to your lifestyle that suits that one 
for lack of a better term, blip on the radar. So <laughs> you make this, you jump to the conclusion of, hey, this is the way it's always going to be. So the inverse of what you're talking about, like, oh no, I I bailed, I better go make some, uh, go back to to what I was doing with my tail between my legs. Instead, you have this big, you know, peak, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden the 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 returns start diminishing and i think what happens is uh, you know i've seen it before where all of a sudden you've got a bunch of people that are now working for you or you buy this big house or you're you're, you're doing all the 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 quote dream stuff and then all of a sudden yeah. the well runs dry um how important is it to keep a level head in, in those situations because uh, mm. well i think that that's that's something that we don't look at enough we sure we look at the things that fail but what about the one big hit that may not be sustainable. How do you approach that with a realistic fashion so that you can keep doing the entrepreneurial stuff instead of running, you know, the well running dry because you 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 overextend yourself on that first big hit? Yeah, uh, I guess first you want to define why was it a big hit? Um, are you clear on why it was a big hit? Was it was it the value proposition? Was it a particular customer segment? Was it a marketing channel you used? Um, is this replicable? Can you do this again and again and again? Is it scalable or was this just a once-off? Because if you, you um, do perform a number of tests and you know that this is scalable, you've taken uh, the variables that underpin that success and you've um, extrapolated that out across different sort of um, customer segments or, or, or test cases and it's continues to work, then at some point, perhaps you may be able to adjust your lifestyle, um, providing that um, you're doing that incrementally, you know, not going out and and, uh, buying yourself a Ferrari just because you've um, secured a seven-figure client. Um, It's about the incremental adjustment. If you want to make an adjustment, you know, I always say that um, you should live life according to nature, not according to people's opinions. And oftentimes when people um, adjust their lifestyle significantly, buying the the flashy car and the flashy house and everything else, it's usually to satisfy ego. It's usually to satisfy what people will think about them um, as opposed to something more intrinsic. But apart from that, if I look at some of the most uh, successful entrepreneurs of the last 20 years, like your um, uh, Jeff Bezos's of the world, they're very big on being uh, frugal with, uh, with with their t- time and, and money. Um, and that forces them to run countless experiments in order to double down on what works and shy away from what doesn't. And in terms of what you're talking about, it's not only people who may launch a business and it becomes a home run, but in the, say, tech startup ecosystem, we see so many startups that are raising capital and they tend to conflate raising capital with market validation. Right. So they may... Ha- yeah, they may have an idea. They'll they'll go out for six months. They'll pitch to countless um, VCs and angel investors. And hey, they may be lucky enough to raise seven figures, maybe a million dollars, maybe two million dollars. And um, immediately they think, wow, we've made it. Um, unbeknownst to them, they're just basically a bet. They're a bet that that VC has made. Um, and that VC is hoping that maybe that startup will be the one of 10 in the portfolio on average that may return uh, enough to cover the losses that, of the remaining nine um, on average, right? Um, and so because of that, what happens is they go out, they hire a big team, they spend a lot of money on marketing because they think they've got market validation. Um, and more often than not, you see so many cases of startups and you jump on TechCrunch, you jump onto Mashable, these startups that have raised in some cases more than $10 million and they've been around for about a year or two and they're shutting the gates because they've spent all their money on a team that had nothing to do on features that nobody asked for. Um, and Ultimately, when I look at that and I look at the fact that with my business, it's basically being bootstrapped up to a seven figure business. And I see a lot of other entrepreneurs that I've worked with in the space doing the same thing. When you raise that big bag of money up front if it, it, and without having gone through the motions, the the trials and tribulations of experimenting your way to, to market validation, it just means that you will be more likely than not to waste it. 
Um, and this plays out time and time and time again in the tech startup ecosystem. And um, I was fortunate enough to speak with uh, Jason Freed from Basecamp on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he basically said, look, when, when you take funding, you're now a financial instrument. Uh, it's no longer your business. If, if you left the corporate world because you didn't enjoy being accountable to someone else, well, guess what? Now you're accountable to investors. <laughs> so, you know, you've basically traded one 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 um, direct report for another. So hmm, it's probably not the best way to go about it. And, and also when startups tend to raise funding early, early, early on in that piece, what they do is they raise at a very v- low valuation because they haven't got revenue yet. So they give away a big chunk of their business for a small amount of money when they really should have been focused on generating revenue. And if and only if they need funding to scale the business, then raising money at a high valuation and giving away less of their business. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. We're going to take a break from the proceedings to talk about the sponsor of this episode, Gusto. Now, if you have a business or you know someone who does, you probably know that small business owners wear a lot of hats. I know that I do. And some of these hats are great. They're fantastic. I love doing this. I love recording podcasts. I love making videos. I love writing. But there's some that I just don't get into. I just don't enjoy. Filing taxes, running payroll. Those are ones that are not, they don't They don't get my juices flowing. I just don't enjoy them. And that's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for small businesses. They offer fast, simple payroll processing, benefits, and expert HR support all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes, so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. So those old-school, clunky payroll providers, they're just not built for the way that modern small businesses work, but Gusto is. So let Gusto wear one of your many hats. You have better things to do. Listeners of this podcast will get three months for free when they run their first payroll. Just try a demo and see for yourself. Gusto.com slash timecrafting is where you need to go. That's gusto.com slash timecrafting. And and if you have any questions about the service, you get direct access to certified HR professionals. So there's no reason not to give it a try. Again, go to gusto.com slash timecrafting and get started with Gusto today. I'd like to thank Gusto for sponsoring this episode of the Productivities Podcast. Now, let's get back to the show. We talked a bit about, um, you know, the idea of, well, all, all, a lot of this is questioning, like self-questioning, uh, you know, mm-hmm. validation. Um, how important is this this idea of raising questions, um, you know, internally, like, you know, it, it, you know throughout this journey? Because I, I think that, um, 
mo most people come into these these scenarios with this idea that I have a solution to a problem, which is mm -hmm. again partly true, but also short sighted because you're walking in with very little experience in 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 this field. Uh, of being an entrepreneur because you've been an employee for so long, you're, you've basically been protected. You don't have to ask as many questions that are going to impact the business at, on a greater scale because you are essentially, to some degree, a cog in the wheel. So you are one of the solutions to say one of the questions. But now you're the one that 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 needs to ask those questions. How important is it not just to can, like look at questioning and and you maybe maybe you have some examples of particular questions that you need to ask, but not being but being uh, okay with asking the tough questions and also, you know, dealing with the tough answers. Oh yeah, because seven out of eight problems, um, according to Stanford University's um, some of their entrepreneurship students, aren't problems at all. And this was on the back of some work they did with the Department of Defense, where. The department basically provided them with a number of problem um, cases and they did some work and found that, well, actually, these are just surface level issues. The root cause is way, 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 way down below. And that's where asking questions like the five whys, you know, asking why five times to get to the root cause of a problem um, makes sense. But really having that emotional intelligence, whether it is um, around the product you're pitching or just around how you manage your business day to day, like questioning, why am I doing what I'm doing right now? That is absolutely fundamental um, in making sure that you're focusing your efforts to the, you know, the very few hours you have in a day to really get into flow on the right things. Um, now, in terms of asking questions, I mean, firstly, you want to be validating that it is legitimately a problem, that the customer segment that you're targeting is the right customer segment. And then even if you think that it's the right idea, it could be the right idea. You might be very talented, but what about the business model? What about the distribution channels? What about the, the profit model, the um, customer um, relationship channels? So the marketing channels that you're going to use to build this product, what, what are your costs going to be? So there's so many un tested assumptions that someone will have going into business. And you're absolutely right. You know, when you come out of, say, a big organization, there's a lot of consensus seeking. Um, there's a lot of meetings with between five and 10 people around the table taking place, which isn't a one hour meeting. If there's 10 people around the table for an hour, that's a 10 hour meeting. And in the corporate world, that's a, a six figure salary. Oftentimes, that's, that's a very expensive meeting. And oftentimes those meetings take place because people are afraid to make the decision in case it goes wrong. Um, this way you can kind of spread the blame. You can make sure everybody's on the bus and we can move forward, uh, which is the diametrically opposed to the way that say Amazon approaches it, whereby it's a, a case of commitment over consensus. Um, you know, your type one, uh, irreversible decisions versus your type two reversible decisions. Most decisions are reversible, but we tend to treat most decisions as irreversible in the corporate world, particularly in your more traditional organizations. And so you have this environment of outsourcing blame. And so when you jump out into entrepreneurship, suddenly there is no outsourcing blame. You're responsible. You need to be taking ownership. So when it comes to asking the right questions, um, if we're just going to zoom in on, say, the product, one of the big things I would ask is, how are people currently solving this problem? And are they satisfied with that? For example, so many entrepreneurs I speak with will pitch an idea and I'll say, well, how do people currently solve this problem? And more often than not, they'll respond with, well, this company is doing this thing and that company is doing that thing. I once had someone pitch me an idea for um, a YouTube parental control system. Um, and so I asked, well, 
how is this being solved? Well, turns out YouTube has a built-in function for this, and there's several other companies doing a similar thing who are, by the way, not very successful. So I asked, well, how is your product different? And he rattled something off about some feature they had. And I said, do you think this problem is big enough that parents are going to bypass YouTube's built-in and free parental control system and pay you money to use yours? And they thought about it and they said, hmm, good question. So questions like that to really get to the core of this because you, it may be a problem, but most problems, people are happy with the way they deal with them. Like you really need to be an order of magnitude better for people to care because you walk out of your house today, you look at your phone, you jump on your desktop, you see countless marketing messages being thrown at you left, right, and center. And we filter out 99.99% of them because in order to function in society um, in any meaningful way, uh, we're not going to be writing after marketing messages all day. So you really need to be an order of magnitude better if people are going to care. One of the things that, uh, that I know gets brought up a lot when people are going from this employee to entrepreneurial, you know, kind of phase in their lives is this idea of mindset, you know, the employee mindset mm -hmm. versus the entrepreneurial mindset. And I think that, that one of the things that I, I struggled with, and, and I think I think everyone struggles with even, especially when they're running a small operation, is when to be the employee and when to be the entrepreneur. Because I think you need to, you know, you need, there are moments where you need to be the guy that's, or, or, the, or the girl that's grinding, that's doing the employee mm -hmm. work. But then there's the, like we talked about, all the stuff the entrepreneur needs to do that is working, you know, the idea of working on the business rather than working in the business, right? So mm -hmm. how, how, um, how what, how can you lower the barrier or can you even lower the barrier to entry to help people that are making that shift so that they they either know when they are in when they should be playing you know employee versus versus entrepreneur whether there is even a distinction at this point like i think that's something a lot of people struggle with mm. yeah well look in the in the early stages of your business, the number one thing you need to be looking for is value proposition fit. Because uh, again, coming back to the jumping to conclusions thing, I see so many people race ahead and then they spend all their time um, on marketing and, and sales tactics. Um, but oftentimes it's not a marketing problem or a sales problem. It really is a value proposition problem. So investing your time early on you know, running a lot of experiments across your business model, across your problem, your solution, your customer segments in order to get to um, that value proposition. That's really where you should be spending your time. And that requires more of an entrepreneurial mindset. Right. And that requires um, a lot of the behaviors underpin um, innovation, which is, you know, asking a lot of questions, uh, observing so you can collect, uh, connect dots between, say, disparate fields, observations that you've made, um, networking, speaking to lots of different people, experimenting. And today with, you know, the internet, there's no excuse not to be running countless experiments online across your untested assumptions. Um, you need to be constantly taking risks and challenging the status quo. But when it comes to risk, people conflate risk with being this big thing that's going to leave them you know, um, in the hole financially. No, you can run an experiment for free, if not for, say, 10 to $50 across one of your assumptions. Um, the you can learn so much with so little today. And, and in my work with a lot of large organizations um, on their innovation programs, like they're they experience so many aha moments when we show them just how much you can actually learn um, with, say, $100. Because when I speak to them and I say the word prototype, they immediately think, oh, that's going to take us three to six months to build some kind of functional prototype. No, I bring it back and I say, no, low fidelity prototype. What do we care about here? We care about validating that there is market appetite. We care about uh, validating that maybe we can actually, this is something we can build. Um, and we care about 
commercial viability? Uh, can we make money doing this? And oftentimes to test, especially that market appetite piece and the commercial viability piece, like you can do that um, oftentimes with some online tests, particularly market appetite around whether or not your target customer segment actually cares. So initially it is the experimental mindset, it is the entrepreneurial mindset. Now, as you move forward, the entrepreneurs that rise to the top um, that I, I have seen are the ones that don't uh, end up chasing lots of fairy rabbits down rabbit holes. They're the ones that start to put into place systems. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the ones that start putting into place um, uh, automation and outsourcing and prioritization techniques because you cannot afford as an entrepreneur to be wasting your most precious commodity, which is time on, say, one hour meetings with unqualified prospects who are just going to waste your time and just going to take that meeting because for them, it's a way to get out of actually doing work. Um, you really need to have awesome systems in place. And um, I mean, a great example of that is uh, Ari Measle uh, from Less Doing. Yep. He w- He basically just recently he told me he built a machine learning tool. Uh, it took him 30 minutes to build it. And basically what it does is it qualifies prospects up to an accuracy uh, rating of about 94%. So if you've got, say, hundreds of leads coming through each month, each month, um, rather than speaking with every single one of them, um, based on a number of variables, the machine learning um, algorithm will basically uh, come up with a number and say, okay, this person is worth talking to this person, perhaps you want to steer clear. And that way you can just focus on investing that sort of sales uh, energy on prospects that are likely to convert. Similarly, tools like repurpose.io. You know, if I'm a content creator, I shouldn't be posting things and repurposing myself for every single platform. I could just post, say, a five-minute Facebook Live video, and then that can, um, using repurpose.io, using um, API integrations like uh, a Zapier with a number of other platforms, you can automatically turn that five-minute Facebook Live video into a podcast, um, into an uh, audiogram, into a Instagram post, a Twitter post, a LinkedIn post, a, a Facebook post, absolutely everything um, with that five-minute snippet. Um, but so many people in that game will spend their entire day doing that one thing. Um, so being cognizant of putting into place those systems and the power of that will free you up to focus on where you can be your best and focusing on those strengths, because that's really what you should be doing. Harnessing your strengths, delegating, outsourcing your weaknesses and cutting everything else that doesn't add value. As we get close to wrapping up, Steve, there's something you touched on there, which is, you know, the idea of what only you can spend your time on. And one of the things you touch on in the book is the idea of learning. And you talk about collecting the dots and mm-hmm. connecting them, which I really liked. I like the idea. Of, and as as I was, you know, reading that part and as I looked at my bookshelf and, and I mean, I have a, a ton of paper books. I love paper books because there's, you know, they're tactile. I can feel them. I can make notes mm. in the margins, all that stuff. But, but you know, you talk about several different options. I want to give them away because you've got a podcast. There's a whole bunch of different things you can learn from. But one of the things that I find interesting, and, I, and I, I'd love to get your take on this, is there's a mixture in my library of like, you know, common business books from now, you know, like four hour work weeks up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got uh, the organized mind. I'm looking, I mean, again, I, there's so many here that I could, I could rhyme off. And then there's also older books, like books that have been, that may not stand out. Like you, you talk about stoicism in the book, mm-hmm. um, you know, things that are like, you know, you've got meditations that I'm looking at and things like that. How important is it not just to have like time set aside for learning? I do this. I have a day that's called training day and it's where I focus. Mm-hmm. My overarching focus is on learning. Um, but also the variation, not necessarily of platforms, but of, of, um, of, of the of the work so not just stuff that's contemporary like say from the the last from the from the new millennium or even from the 90s onward but we're talking things that are like from you know 
uh, you know, like Alvin Toffler's Future Shock and things like that, things that, that are older that you'd be like, okay, there's some lessons that can be learned here. How how important is it to vary oh, that yeah. kind of stuff up? Oh, yeah, it's incredibly important. I mean, when I started uh, going down this entrepreneurial sort of um, rabbit hole uh, about eight years ago, um, I tended, well, I tended to read a lot of just business books. You know, I remember reading things like Good to Great mm -hmm. and uh, Built to Last by Jim Collins. But over time, I found that there was a lot more value to be had by reading um, widely, um, going beyond the realm of business. And like you said, um, reading philosophy from 2000 years ago, the likes of Seneca and Marcus Aurelius, um, even uh even reading fiction books, I found yeah. that was something that for many, many years I steered clear of. But then I read, um, you know, The Odyssey and I read books like War and Peace and Atlas Shrugged and all these different books. And I think what those books do is they give you perhaps they have help sharpen the sword when it comes to mindset. Right. Because if you look look at um, books like The Odyssey and the persistence um, that Odysseus had to, to make it home despite his crew being eaten by a, a cyclops and being enslaved by a nymph and, and making it home after 20 years only for his wife not to recognize him, but to continue that fight. You know, in many ways, that's kind of like entrepreneurship in some ways. Like you've got so many pitfalls that you can fall into and so many setbacks, but it's about that constant journey forward. And so really filling your brain with things of that nature, I think will just keep you uh, on the, the, playing the long game, really. Um, and you know, not only that, but the, from a, going back into the realm of nonfiction, like the, one of the biggest things about my podcast, and the reason why I interview so many different types of people is so I can learn from so many different types of people mm -hmm. who perhaps are preeminent in say neuroscience to biological evolution, to politics, to economics. And then you start connecting dots, um, in ways that most people wouldn't. And you know, the great line on, on genius, what, what is genius? Well, genius is really just the ability to see, but you can't see unless you start connecting these, collecting these dots in the first place. Otherwise you have a very narrow view of the world. And if you look at Uber, if you look at Airbnb and these companies that have been quite, um, what well, these classic case studies over the last 10 years of, of tech startup, uh, success, all those ideas, um, including Dropbox, came from their own experiences. So broadening your experiences, you're going to be more likely to identify opportunities. Steve, this has been a great conversation. Uh, we could go on more, but you know what? In the interest of time, I want people to pick mm -hmm. up the book, Employed Entrepreneur, How to Earn Your Freedom and Do Work That Matters. Uh, where can they pick up the book and where can they learn more about you and listen to your podcast as well? Sure. They can pick up the book over at Amazon and find out more about the book and download a bonus bundle, um, which is full of free stuff on growth hacking, marketing, sales, uh, productivity over at employee2entrepreneur.io. Uh, they can find out my more about my podcast, Future Squared, uh, wherever they get their podcast and at futuresquared.xyz. And if they want to connect with me, they can do so on Twitter at Steve Glaveski. Steve, thanks for joining me today on the Productivityist Podcast. Thank you so much, Mike. And there you have it. That was a lot of stuff packed into one episode. There's a lot of books there that you can read, a lot of podcasts you can listen to, but the book you should pick up, Employed Entrepreneur, How to Earn Your Freedom and Do Work That Matters. It's by Steve Glaveski, the guy who you were just listening to speak to me. Go to go to the employedentrepreneur.io. Of course, there's lots of other stuff in the show notes, but you can get all those bonuses and stuff as, uh, as well. So I had a great time chatting with Steve. I look forward to speaking with him again. I think I'm going to be on his show as well. So anytime I I can have another conversation with me on the other side of the interview equation. 
I love it. So uh, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And if you want to leave feedback, ratings and reviews are always helpful. You can do so in, in Apple Podcasts. You can also do that in a variety of podcasting platforms as well. Big thanks to John Polstra for producing this episode of the show. Big thanks to Gusto for sponsoring this episode. Again, to get your first three months for free when you run your first payroll with Gusto, visit gusto.com slash timecrafting. Do that now. And that's it. That's it. We're all done here. Thanks again for joining me. Until next time, I'm Mike Barty, the host of the Productivity is Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. We'll see you later.